The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Okay, we're back, and this is episode 66 of They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. And uh, I'm your host, Lee, Boogie Till I Puke, Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel Dialogue Harper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. I'm, I'm really only on this podcast until I can find a bigger, better deal. So just beware of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we're still continuing our sex comedy series here. Uh, we got two p- picks from the 80s, Hard Bodies from 1984, and then we'll be looking at the very obscure Perfect Timing from 1986. And also, I'll be talking about a short film from the 2000s as well, just as a little uh, additional bonus here. But um, how are you doing uh, tonight there, Daniel? I am doing quite well, and I had to uh, tear myself away from the uh, bevy of beauties that walk around my house uh, naked constantly while I'm trying to take uh, photographs of a wall, and uh, mm-hmm. I come down a podcast with you today. So uh, I hope you appreciate the the effort I put again to to be here. Although that is just kind of my day to day life, so it isn't you know unusual. I do that every week, so you know you should just be aware that I do that all the time. You know? No, I understand the many times that I've had a like a super cool party on my beachside residence where I just invite girls over and they just show up just because, no matter how fugly or old I am. I, I, I know. Well, I know the problem. That, that's a money issue, right? Like, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, the podcast dollars I'm pulling in. Of yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Just to, before we get into the real movies, though, like, there's a very East Coast West Coast thing we're kind of hitting today, right? You know, there's kind of California and New York, even though mm-hmm. clearly the second one is not actually filmed in New York. But there's a little bit like that. That's kind of a theme. I I, I think we're gonna hit on yeah. today. Um, talking about these two films, so. Thank you very much, yes. So I think first thing we'll do is uh, we got we got a little uh, one comment from our Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. So um, again, to all of our listeners, if you want to get in contact with us, that's the best place to go. So go there, join for free. Nobody on there's a dick. It's a lot of fun. We haven't put up a paywall for the Facebook group yet. No. We might. <laughs> so get in there now while you still can. Yeah. Uh, Mike Murphy from Badass Boobs and Body Counts says, uh, in relation to our cheerleaders and One Night Only, he said, uh, good episode, guys. We felt the same way about the cheerleaders. Yes, Hot and Saucy Pizza Girls is the better film. I disagree. Uh, anal leakage and all, he says. In regards to Stitcher Radio, it does not steal iTunes feed. In other words, you need to apply to have your podcast show up on their app. I suggest you do that if you want your show to grow by two listeners. Well, you know, <laughs> beggars can't be choosers, so I might look into that. <laughs> that, that would be like double our audience, so, you know, yeah. I, I think we should do that. <laughs> uh, he says, for your information, I listen through an app called Overcast on my fancy iPhone 6. Pulls from iTunes, so no ap- application needed. Okay, awesome. He says, cheers and thanks for all the continued free content. Fuck that paid shit. Well, no one's going to pay us for this shit, so. <laughs> no, not at all. 
no money changes hands on this podcast. Uh, I mean, no, we pay no. the hosting fee, but uh, you know, I, I'm a freeloader on this podcast. I don't pay anything for it or uh, get any money for it. So you know, if Lee wants to sell ads, that's his business. I will keep showing up regardless. But I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But uh, you know, whatever want, whatever other podcasts want to do, that's fine with me. I don't care. But uh, I mean, if I can make a living doing this, I'd absolutely sell ads. You know, I put part time job kind of hours into my podcasts. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I probably put. 15, 20 hours a week into it. If there was money to be made, if I could make like a couple of hundred bucks a week, I would do that. So, so I mean, there is this kind of sense of like, you know, oh, the listens are low enough that like we couldn't really sell ads and make any money anyway. Yeah. So we get to make the we get to make the moral choice of like deciding not to alienate our listeners for you know five cents a month or whatever. <laughs> but uh, you know, I would absolutely sell out if uh, if there was actual money to be made. Uh, then I'd be under the pressure to actually make a show that is like well produced and, and right. consistent. Fuck that shit. I want to have fun. So uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. I, although you know, if if someone was like, if some outside entity was like, "Hey, this guy on this podcast is really good. We want to pay him to be on our podcast." Then hey, yeah, fuck yeah. You want to pay me to be on your podcast? I'm there. I'll provide all all the greatness that that is me for for your podcast. Yeah, no, I'm down for that. I will also do that. I will whore myself out to other podcasts if uh, the money is right. Exactly. By which I mean if there is any money at all. Yeah, (laughs) unless you're Mark Maron or fucking Kevin Smith. It's pretty much... (laughs) Okay, that's it for comments, and uh, we can go right into what we've watched in the last little while, so I'll uh, let you go first, Daniel. I actually watched uh, two films from the early 50s, uh, both starring Richard Woodmark, um, oh. who our listeners might remember from uh, Kiss of Death. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched both of them starting with the letter N. I watched uh, Night in the City and No Way Out. Um, huh. Have you seen these films? I think I've seen No Way Out. No Way Out is Sidney Poitier's first film. Um, yeah, it okay. is, uh, so Woodmark uh, plays a uh, horribly racist, essentially gangster, Mm-hmm. Um, kind of low-life thug. There is copious use of the N-word, especially for 1951. This is a uh, sort of a noir film that's mixed with the kind of Tennessee Williams-style social realism stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, quite an interesting film. I'm uh, kind of working up a piece. I'm going to write kind of an essay talking about some of this uh, going uh, down the line here in a few days. So I'm um, kind of looking forward to that. That'll probably be posted by the time this episode goes up. But uh, so so I, I won't uh, talk too much about that. But uh, this is definitely a film worth watching. Sidney Poitier's first film. It, it really uh, he's just magnetic in the film. Uh, Woodmark is brilliant and evil, and uh, it's uh, basically a film about how Sidney uh, Poitier is a doctor working in a prison. He uh, accidentally um, he basically gets a patient who is Richard Woodmark's brother. The patient dies. Uh, and uh, Woodmark thinks that uh, Poitier uh, did it intentionally, like killed his brother, you know, because he's a white man, and uh, the kind of complications that ensue. Um, really, really interesting film. Probably a really nice, uh, both strengths and weaknesses uh, would, would really pair well with 12 Angry Men. If you've uh, seen that, then you yeah. know, kind of get sort of, sort of a similar kind of a thematic elements, uh, although very different film structurally. Um, really worth your time. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, Night in the City has uh, Woodmark as a a low-life kind of con artist grifter guy, um, which seemed very apropos when we were, uh, I would just watched Hard Bodies and then suddenly watch this <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, another con man, another another blonde con man, you know, kind of sitting around. A very different film. Significantly fewer bikinis in uh, Night oh, City. Um, but Night City. But more wrestlers. Uh, it actually involves, oh, really? I mean, it takes place in the time that it's set. It's in London. 
uh, in the early 50s, I think 1951 or 52, and it is a, a film that's kind of about uh, this con that the Richard Woodward character does to try to set up a boxing or a wrestling promotion gig, uh, despite the fact that wrestling promotion is uh, controlled by the mob in uh, this uh, in this kind of uh time and place so really worth your time that's a really interesting kind of character bit it's uh, got some really nice stuff going on um certainly with the wrestling connection i think you would really enjoy it lee if you haven't yeah, seen I'm it gonna, i'm gonna want to see that because i want to see if there's any uh, sort of british uh, wrestling uh, luminaries uh, featured in that from from the past. you actually have a there's a polish strongman i i didn't write his name down i wasn't prepared to to talk about it in detail but there's a polish strongman who was apparently a strongman and wrestler uh, from the kind of twenties, who is who kind of plays the aging patriarch at this point, um, mm. and uh, so it's very tightly focused on just a handful of characters for the most part. Um, uh, there's a uh, subplot involving a uh, kind of a mob boss and then his wife, who is sort of the mistress to the Richard Woodmark character, although there's not really consummation and that sort of thing. But it's a it's a really interesting kind of little crime picture character study. Probably be worth covering if we ever do another uh, noir series oh definitely uh you should put that in the uh master list uh definitely so i won't forget it. i'm actually quite interested in that because especially in like not so much in america but in in foreign markets especially like 30 40 years ago or or even more pro wrestling was controlled by the mob in certain places like especially yeah. in like J- japan like the yakuza had big influence on japanese pro wrestling for quite a while so yeah, no, uh, definitely. I mean, it, it's it's a really great film and a really great performance. I mean, Woodmark, it, it's really nice because I, I actually, this is how I spent my July 4th, was watching noir films and hard bodies. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that shows you what the, uh, what, what you know, I just decided to sit and start drinking at 9 a.m. and watch movies all day. Uh, it, was a, it was a great kind of drunky uh, July 4th for me. Really uh, interesting film. Really definitely worth your time. Cool. Um, so, and uh, hopefully we'll talk about it in the line. Yeah, uh, I think we definitely will. The one film I saw this week of consequence, I guess, is uh, one that our mutual friend Jack Graham uh, recommended a little while back on his Twitter, uh, The Boy, which uh, I guess it was this year. It was either 2015 or 2016. I can't quite remember at the moment, but one of these creepy doll horror movies. The rewatch value on it is not very good because it's one of those ones that has a twist in the end, and once you discover the twist, it's like, okay... Maybe you want to rewatch it once just to see if there's any hints. But otherwise, probably not going to watch it after that anymore. But it it stars uh, Lauren Cohen. I guess she's known for The Walking Dead at this point. I actually remember her from uh, Van Wilder 2, The Rise of Taj. That's so a good tie-in to our sex comedy series there. <laughs> just, just, the, just the phrase, just the, the sentence. I remember her from Van Wilder 2. Yeah. The idea of remembering Van Wilder, remembering Van Wilder to begin with, much less Van Wilder too, is uh, is actually uh, it dates you. Uh, it really, it really <laughs> well, kind of you know. Do you want to know? Do you want me to even get more pathetic? Because I can't. Please, please, I, I encourage your patheticness on this podcast. Awesome, because uh, I do not own Van Wilder one, but I do own Van Wilder two: The Rise of Tosh. <laughs> The only thing I remember about Van Wilder is, uh, well, I mean, I. <laughs> the only thing I remember is at the beginning because I saw it like on Comedy Central the first like ten or fifteen minutes, and there's the uh, bit at the beginning where uh, Van Wilder is having his suit adjusted by the uh, uh, the female tailor, and uh, mm-hmm. they pretend like she's giving him a blowjob, and uh, that's yeah. 
that was the moment where I'm like, yeah, this is probably the most clever thing in this film, and I no longer need to watch anything else in it. Like, hey, you was... know, those, those films aren't terrible. I mean, yeah. they're, they're you know post uh, American Pie, post Road Trip kind of ripoffs for for the most sure. part. Uh, Van Wilder Two: The Rise of Taj features a dog show where one of the dogs sprays demon all over the audience. So as they do. Yeah, so it's it's a great moment. Who knows? We might cover it at some point. <laughs> I would actually cover Road Trip. I think Road Trip is kind of an interesting film. And uh, Euro Trip. I would totally do Euro Trip. Euro Trip uh, is definitely one to do. Actually, we yeah. might. Actually, we could do that one for the series because we still got like basically technically we got three episodes left for the series. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I mean, you give me titles, I'm fine. But like Euro Trip is is actually a much better film than it has any right to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the boy, pretty good, well paced, uh, well shot. Uh, it's got an incredibly well designed, creepy old house. It keeps you in the, in the dark to just what's going on. Is it supernatural? Is it just something natural going on that's creepy? Uh, the acting's pretty good, and uh, overall, I, I liked it quite a bit. It's fun. It, it plays up the creepy doll aspects very, very well. It's actually worth checking out. Uh, I'm, I'm just gonna say, like. Don't expect going into it to be like one of these classics that you buy and put on your shelf and rewatch many times over because it's not going to be that. It's one of these films where you watch it once or twice and after that the effect is kind of gone. But uh, sure, but still very good. Uh, did you read just since you mentioned Jack? Did you read uh, his uh, kind of two part series last couple of weeks about the kind of seventies uh, horror? And the, the kind of the reimaginings of that in recent years. Um, those, I thought those were quite interesting. Yes, I did. And uh, I was actually going to mention those. Um, I'm going to link those in the show notes. By the way, Jack, you prick, respond to comments. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, he, he did two really good pieces. Uh, Jack and I are both uh, slightly older than you, so we're in the same sort of age bracket. We grew up at the yeah, same... You're like three years older than me, so, you know, yeah. clearly you're, you're ancient. Yeah, agent. Uh, we we grew up in sort of the same period and watched a lot of the same movies, so like, I really sort of connected with him quite a bit because he was mentioning the movies. Like, yeah, those movies. Yeah, and yeah, I liked them for the same reasons you liked them, and it was like pretty cool. So uh, I will link those. They're very interesting articles. They sort of talk about, for the most part, the sort of supernatural films from the late seventies, early eighties, and he sort of goes into depth about what they mean to him and. Uh, what they're trying to say, and I think there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. So if you're a horror fan, uh, definitely check those links out that I'll put in the show notes. Very, very good stuff. Yeah, definitely excellent stuff. He, he talks a lot about uh, what normalcy means and in terms of like childhood and in terms of uh, mm-hmm. the things that we, we kind of think of as kind of like pre-existing reality as kind of like what was kind of right before we were born. And uh, really connects some really interesting stuff kind of psychologically with uh, this kind of zeitgeist of horror. And, uh, you know, I-, I can't say enough nice things about Jack. He's, he's a yeah. brilliant writer as far as I'm concerned. I can say that now because uh, I know he listens, but uh, I, he's not here. So I can say really nice things about him. So it's fine. And we definitely got to give him back for some horror stuff as well at some point. Yeah. yeah. Like Left Behind. <laughs> <laughs> and left behind as well, which is something we will be doing at some point here. We'll be doing some kooky Christian films. It should be a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm excited.
right. Uh, I think we can move on now to our movies. And we're going to start with Hard Bodies from 1984. Columbia Pictures proudly presents a minor motion picture event. A film with absolutely no redeeming social value whatsoever. A film that has won not five, not three, but absolutely no Academy Award nominations. A film that luminaries like Bergman, Fellini, Spielberg, and Lucas had absolutely nothing to do with. A film that every critic in America has unanimously hailed as a motion picture. This is Hard Bodies. The film that will teach you important new words like... Hard bodies means perfect little foxes down on the beach. BBD. It's a bigger and better deal. And wuss. Yeah, she said we got a lot more class than an immature boy like you. Oh, man. That wuss. That wuss. It will answer important questions. Where became a romance? You want romance? I read a novel. You want me? I'm upstairs. Expand your language skills. My friend Rag here is multilingual. He's flipping you off in 48 languages. Explore the wonders of nature. Look at these hamstrings, these gluteus maximus. This is the body of the 80s. To travel where no man has gone before. And how to effectively plan your day. First, we'll make love. Then we'll go for a jog. And then we can come back and make love again until we bounce off the wall. I like your eggs. Hard Bodies is stuffed with fine dialogue. Is over easy, okay? Lavish costumes. The latest in special effects. Is everything turned on now? Everything is now. And an important message for all. Party, 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 party. It runs about an hour and a half, raised the Encino Gazette. It's shot with movie film, just like E.T., says the Schenectady World Bulletin. And Utah Today calls it absolutely the best film we have seen this afternoon. If you see only one movie this year, then go see this one. Also, Hard Bodies. If you don't know what they are, you don't know what you're missing. Directed by Mark Griffiths. Uh, written by Steve Green, Eric Alter, and Mark Griffiths. Griffiths? Jeez, I can't say that word. <laughs> Starring Grant Kramer as Scotty. Uh, Teal Roberts as... Christie, Courtney Gaines as Rag, Gary Wood as Hunter, Michael Rappaport as Rounder, Sorrells Picard as Ashby, uh, Roberta Collins as Lana, Cindy Silver as Kimberly, Christy Summers as Michelle, and uh, Crystal Shaw Martell as Candy, and uh, one of my personal favorites, Darcy DeMoss as Dee Dee. And I'll let you get into the uh, synopsis there, Daniel. Absolutely. And of course, you love Dee Dee, as do all right-thinking people. Yeah. Scotty Palmer is a young, blonde, chiseled California dude who's a part-time con artist and a full-time pussy magnet. He credits his success with the ladies to his ability to sell them on the BBD, Bigger Battler Deal, and when three middle-aged rich dudes lease a beach house nearby, he sees his chance to combine his love for larceny and so-called hard bodies, the general term he uses for the trim, tanned, and physically fit specimens he and those around him are so keen to bed. The three middle-aged men include a rich, yuppie asshole hunter, creepy, pervy dude rag, and Texas stereotype with a heart of gold Ashby. Guess which one of the three actually manages to maintain a decent relationship with one of the hard bodies, and which one ends up being the primary antagonist who gets his comeuppance at the hands of the many women he's abused and manipulated over the course of the film. 
Also included are a pop Rocky girl band, which Scotty ends up managing, sort of, a subplot involving Scotty's wannabe girlfriend coming to respect him, and a minor character who is basically a walking blue ball epidemic. Truly, this is the Simpson Kane of 80s titty flicks. <laughs> yeah, and I saw your comment there on the uh, on the Facebook group about that. I was like, okay, he's either he's either being very ironic or he actually enjoyed this film quite a bit. So I'm interested to see what what which one it is. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll actually let you get right into your initial thoughts on this one then, because of that. Sure. All right. So you got to keep in mind that, like, for me, like coming to these like titty flicks, a lot of them I saw like on HBO or Showtime or whatever, but like, I'm just young enough. Like I was born in 1980. So like, and then we had like Showtime and like, so we got it in like 87, 88 or whatever. And so that era, I'm very familiar with that, like very tail end of these periods. Mm -hmm. If I was like three or four years older, or if we'd had access to these things a little bit earlier, this is a film I would have seen like a million times growing up. And I'm pretty (laughs) sure I've seen this at some point, but probably like some cable edit or something and like didn't remember it. I thought this was a really decent flick. I thought I think there's a real a lot of really, uh, it's well executed. It's got some interesting characters. It actually has a story. It actually has mm-hmm. some ideas going on. It uh, basically respects women, which is you know something you don't see in a lot of these films. Again, I watched this next to my wife Shana, and she's like the <laughs> the moment to where uh, Scotty is like defending the uh, honor of the uh, of Candy, you know, when she's being abused by mm-hmm. a hunter. Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He's not just letting him rape her? And I'm like, no, he's not. This is a decent film. I really enjoyed this. I thought it was a really decent flick and uh, really was worth my time. And uh, I don't know that I'm going to buy it, but I definitely did not dislike watching it. It was a lot of fun. It gave me exactly what I was expecting. I mean, exactly everything I could have expected going into it. This is one of the best of the genre of the 80s titty flicks. I think it's it's bar none. It's one of the best of the genre. It hits all the marks it needs to. It's absolutely just flows like butter. You know, it's it's not great cinema. It's not actually a Citizen Kane. Um, but it's <laughs> but it's it's definitely, if you like these kinds of films, this one should be on your list to watch if you haven't seen it. Yeah, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure, uh, I didn't go back and listen to the episode to check, but I think when uh, our initial sex comedy series, when we did uh, Malibu Bikini Shop, I think mm-hmm. I I think I mentioned to you that if, if you think there was a lot of nudity and greatness in this film, you should probably check out Hard Bodies because this one even kind of outdoes Malibu Bikini Shop, and my god, the amount of nudity in this film is pretty much fucking unreal. <laughs> you know, can I, can I say I, I, was, I was thinking about uh, both of these films today uh, as I was kind of thinking about what I was going to say on the podcast. And I'm like, I don't even notice the nudity anymore. Like, it's just, it's just, you know, I'm 36, you know, I have, I have an internet connection. I can watch porn at my convenience. I'm a married man and I have a very, you know, sexually voracious wife and, you know, like my life is not devoid of nudity. Mm. Um, so, you know, I, it's not, I'm not like going into the films and going like, Oh man, I get to see some tits the way I, you know, when I was like 13 or 14, that's kind of your your primary goal, but uh, no, it's definitely appreciated when when you know these films uh, when when they don't skimp on that, it's always it's always appreciated. And this film does not skimp on it at all. So when I'm when I'm looking at, it, I'm just like kind of comparing it to like you know I'm not 13 anymore, so you know like when I did first see this as a teenager, I was like yeah, this is great. But but watching, I'm like I'm trying to think of like other sex comedies. I'm like you know this kind of beats almost all of them that I can think of for nudity like this. So, certainly of its genre, certainly of that yeah. kind of subgenre, like the beach film, um, you know, it's, it's got quite a bit. It's also um, 
a little bit more honest about you know kind of sex. I mean, it's got the kind of simulated blowjob sequence. It's got mm-hmm. some. It, it's it's got a little bit more raunchiness than you get a lot of out of a lot of these things. Where you know a lot of these kind of films. I mean, Malibu Bikini Shop, and you know, mm-hmm. I mean, the cheerleaders is is another example. And you know, a lot of these films really just kind of like. I mean, they take out the shirts and then just kind of they they bounce around a little bit. And then that's that's kind of all you get, but you don't actually get like any kind of like dirty talk or any kind of like, uh, you know, actual like explicit sexual content, even just on a dialogue level. Um, whereas this film, I mean, I'm not so this isn't like raunchy, um, but it, it definitely kind of gives you a little bit more of that. It has a little bit more of a it kind of digs its teeth in just a little bit more, which I appreciated. Yeah, well, the, well, the thing about this movie is it's not it's not vapid and sleazy. Like you said, there is kind of a story here, so you can actually kind of follow along and actually want to watch the movie for more than just the titty parts. Even yeah. though you know ninety percent of the movie is the titty parts, but you, you'll still want to watch the other ten percent because it's actually kind of interesting. You literally have like your two female leads who just stand in front of a mirror at one point and talk about their tits. Like, yeah, that's, well, why, that's... why do guys like boobs? I don't know. Uh, they, they just kind of lie them. there, you know, and they're like yeah. playing with their their boobs and stuff. I don't know why why anybody likes this. I don't I don't get it. You know, <laughs> that's something that's something that women do all the time. By the way, you know, I've I know I know a lot of women, and I've seen them do that just like on a daily basis. They just sit and like look at their boobs in the mirror and like jiggle them, and uh, talk about why why do why do men like these? I don't I don't get it. You know, but it's one of the big questions of the universe. If, if only men and women could communicate better. There would be a more yeah. mutual understanding there. Uh, <laughs> first off, I, I got to say, like I think the characters here are all pretty well defined. It, like I said again, it's not kind of vapid. You get you get the impression from all the characters, like they're even though they're not quite three dimensional, that they they still all kind of resonate fairly well. I mean, Scotty's the ladies' man, and you get the sense that he's also kind of a decent guy. He's not some fucking sleaze bag. So you, you can follow him around and kind of cheer for him, you know, because every, every time something kind of like questionable comes up, it's because it's a misunderstanding, you know, or someone thought he did something wrong when he really didn't. <laughs> well, I mean, he was de- he's definitely kind of like the beginning of the film. He's definitely kind of manipulating women and, and yeah. kind of telling them stories. And he's he's absolutely trying to play these guys for money, you know, when, mm-hmm. you know, when, he, when he gets into it. Um, so, I mean, he, he's definitely kind of a manipulator. I mean, I, I, you know, oh, he's yeah, kind yeah. of a pickup artist, but he kind of, I mean, he's not, he's not dishonest about it. I, I think, you know, like, like pick up women. I mean, he's, he's giving them lines. He's just giving them clever lines that, you know, so there's a wink and a nod there. Um, he actually reminded me a little bit of the uh, lead of Zapped Again, if you remember, uh, you know, that, yeah. that movie. Um, it's a very different film and a very different, you know, kind of thing. But, you know, there's still, there's just that kind of, Good heartedness to it, and a good heartedness to the film itself. You know, I mean, this is I talked a little bit about you know some of the some of the other six comedies. Uh, the van is the one I always come back to as being. Mm-hmm. It just kind of feels sleazy. It's not. Yeah. It's not that it's bad. It just kind of feels sleazy, and this doesn't feel sleazy. This just feels like kind of goofy. You know, fun. You know. Well, you get well. You actually you get the uh, feeling that Scotty's actually a monogamous guy. Like he does. Like he he enjoys talking up girls. Right. But he he doesn't he doesn't sleep with anybody else. I mean he yeah. he he he's got his girlfriend and then that's it. But he just enjoys he enjoys flirting, which I can understand. Also, uh, well, uh, here's one of my show notes: Jiggle Fest. That's the word I wrote down for. <laughs> Especially in that scene in the nightclub with the uh, bodybuilding chick there, who just decided, yeah. hey. Hey, uh, rounder, come over and look at this. And uh... <laughs> there's there's a lot of jiggle here. Um, you know the the heart bodies phenomenon. This was such a like very specific moment in kind of pop culture, right? Uh-huh. Uh, where 
you know, it wasn't enough for women to be kind of sexualized for wearing skimpy clothing. They had to be like these, this very particular kind of buff and tanned. And, and, uh, you know, basically this is the invention of like diet soda, you know, and, and, you know, like, like crash diets and, you know, so much of, so, I mean, uh, I, I, you can't lay this on the film because the film is just kind of representing this like moment in, in history, but it is kind of like slightly disquieting to kind of like think like, and how many people got anorexia trying to live up to this kind of physical idea? Well, well yeah, that's that's actually that's probably the only like issue I had with this film yeah. is like there's this kind of beautiful body elitism going on where everybody who's a good person in this film, except for maybe Rag, uh, depending on your preference, but it, just about everybody in this film is like a beach body, beautiful person that looks really good and is physically fit and all that. And then like the quote unquote bad guys in this film are either old, uh, wearing hair pieces or the, the, uh, a little group of, uh, geeks in the right, film right. There that, who, you know, who which, are all, which are coded in this really weird way because they're kind of called the geeks, but they're kind of acting like bullies, but they're kind of like <laughs> mentally incompetent. So that the, you know, there's like, <laughs> I, it's just it's just this kind of weird like they couldn't make them like the stereotypical jocks who yeah. are just coming around and like beating people up because like our lead is basically that guy and we're supposed to be you know extolling the virtues of physical fitness here i would i would say i think that cowboy guy is definitely kind of portrayed as a really decent human being he's, um, one he's of my, my favorite, favorite characters in the film yeah, he's, yeah, he's probably he's, my favorite character. Yeah, same here, actually. He's my favorite character. Like, watching the film, it's, I actually enjoyed his performance, and he's like, this is the guy I want to sit and drink a beer with because he seems like yeah. a lot of fun to hang out with, right? And he has and he has my seduction technique, which is just to be fucking honest. Like, yeah. you know, he, he gets the girl because he's like, no, I want to know who you are as a person. And like he says, like, oh, I, I made my fortune in cow manure and cow shit, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, she's like, yeah, that's cool. Like, awesome. You know, and uh, you know, like interacts with her as a person, and then she's like, "Oh, if you want romance, go read a book. If you want me, I'll be upstairs." And he'll like, yeah. "All right, I guess that's you know, all right, I'm there. All right, let's go." <laughs> and the guy's also honest about his limitations because at at the end of the first sex session, he's like, "Jesus Christ, I don't know if I can keep up with this woman." <laughs> I love uh, one thing I was gonna. One thing I really admired about the film is when I was uh, first watching it, I was kind of like, "Oh, you're, you're gonna." spend most of the film teaching these guys how to like pick up girls and then you're gonna like the big party that you're that you're promising is gonna be at the very end of the film. Mm-hmm. And really that's in the middle. And then there's yeah. like a whole like second half of the film. So you you're almost getting two movies in one here because you kinda reach the end of one plot and then start a new plot, which is well, the after effects of the of the of that first party. Um, yeah, which I well, really enjoyed. Yeah, well yeah the, the middle of the film's like okay so they put they put Scotty's uh, techniques into practice and yes, they do get some women and they have some fun, but the end of the film actually shows that, Hey, if, if you want any sort of lasting relationships that actually mean anything, you actually have to, you actually have to treat the person with fucking respect. And, right. and, and so there's actually kind of a, in this incredibly tit filled film, there's actually a pretty decent message about relationships and stuff. That's it's incredibly surprising considering you know, everything, right? Right. I mean, you know, these films. I mean, and this is something that we kind of talked about a little bit last week. And you know, these films. These films. You don't expect much going into them. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're kind of like, okay, yeah, it's a, it's going to be a delivery system for you know a particular kind of feminine beauty that is you know very much on display. And yeah, that, and, and some hopefully funny jokes. And this, there, there's some, you know, 
it actually has some meaning. It actually kind of has a point, and uh, I, I appreciated that. It, it, it doesn't feel completely disposable. In particular, the the way that the candy character is treated, I think, is you know, I mean, mm-hmm. she is kind of treated as a joke, and I think that I mean, you know, Rag is is kind of uh, you know, after he kind of spends the night with her, but doesn't get laid because he's. She talks about sex constantly, but she doesn't actually have any sex. Um, and you know, he it's kind of treated as you know, like oh, he's got blue balls. Look at how he suffers for it, which is kind of not good. But no, that uh, was the uh, that's the that's the rounder character. Oh, is that rounder? Okay, yeah, you know, Rag right, is the uh, Rag's the, 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 the ginger guy. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I, I was looking at the cast list and I mistook one for the other. I apologize. Um, so yeah, the rounder character kind of comes in. You know, he's kind of putting the ice pack on his balls, and he's he's kind of a you yeah. know, he's kind of an asshole. And he, you know, he's definitely manipulating women into sleeping with him. And it, it's kind of, but he, but he's you know, this is this is not a good guy. And so the fact that he's you know, kind of like only approaching this girl so he can sleep with her is actually you know, it it, it reflects badly on him. And I think that you know the film does kind of portray her as slightly irrational in the sense of like you know you're yeah. you're you're doing this you're not understanding the effect that you're having on people but it doesn't judge her for that it just kind of says like why are you you know shouldn't you be considering kind of how you're interacting with people because you know you're well, kind yeah. of leading them to expect one thing and then you're not giving it to them you know I mean I mean the the movie's honest about like her own insecurities and stuff where she's putting on kind of a show to make people not think she's this idiot, you know, like, so, you know, there, there's actually, there's actually fucking character depth and development in this film, which is even more surprising than, than just, you know, a general good message in the film as well. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I I will say, uh, the scumbag guy of, of the, of the trio, like, you know, the real bad guy, Mm -hmm. Hunter, his fashion sense, it it wouldn't even fucking jive in the 1970s, let alone the 1980s. This, this, there's this montage of this guy trying on fucking costumes for the party, and I'm like thinking, right. what the fuck is this guy's problem? Uh, too much cocaine, apparently, I guess. But um, yeah, he, my my wife, my wife watched it, and she's like, "What does he just have to th- wear a costume? Like he's he's explicitly wearing like cowboy outfits and shit at some point, you know? Yeah, yeah. This, uh, this yeah, guy he's has, not, he has an image of himself that is just like totally devoid from reality. Right. It's almost like this guy has no personality, and he has to dress to have a personality. Yeah, yeah. Or he's he's so like sociopathic and empty inside that he has to like put on a particular kind of outfit mm-hmm. to like demonstrate that he's not that. But he, yeah. he just kind of fails utterly whenever he tries to interact with any human being on a rational basis, um, yeah. or on a, on a kind of empathetic basis. What did you think of the uh, the kind of? Uh, third act conflict between um, Scotty and the girlfriend and, you know, the kind of misheard conversations and stuff. You, you had to kind of like give them a little bit, you know, like it's, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't push it too far. It's definitely like, Oh, come on. It feels like this movie is slightly smarter than this, but it's also kind of like, eh, it's the genre. Like I, I didn't, mm-hmm. I was, I, and it doesn't go on for too long. And then once I do chat about it, it's just kind of over. So that, yeah. that's nice too. It, it, it just felt like, hey, we have this like really awesome movie with a lot of tits, and we need some sort of conflict in the last third of the movie. So let's make up something and, and jump it in there. And you know, in the end, everyone's happy, so it's it's fine. <laughs> it's interesting how the hunter character, you know, he he always is this kind of douchebag from the beginning. He's just mm-hmm. masking it better. 
But yeah. And once like the uh, once the money making opportunity show up, and once he's kind of like gotten all he can from Scotty, and and uh, you know he kind of he can he can hit on girls by himself and stuff. He just kind of discards Scotty as a as a character and just kind of you know like moves on, and mm-hmm. he's just trying to take the girl. And you know, I mean, he's very uh, very self motivated and very uh, I mean just selfish and aggressive and you know that sort of thing. And uh, that's explicitly I mean you know f- again for a movie that is all about like let's you know put beautiful naked women on the screen uh, the idea that this character is kind of portrayed as is the explicit bad guy for doing exactly that mm-hmm. but doing it in this kind of like a uh, kind of uh, aggressive and, and non-consensual kind of way that's a really interesting decision I, yeah and uh, you know i don't want to i don't want to push too hard on that i don't want to like you know praise the film as as being this like you know feminist masterpiece because it's not but it's definitely um i mean it's much much better than a lot of the other stuff that's out there and in, in, terms you know um this, there's no reason in this film no this movie hates dicks like it really does like it, it really hates pieces of shit and it makes it explicit that it hates pieces of shit i mean uh, the hunter character is the villain uh the quote-unquote geeks are uh outcasts because they are assholes you know because it, even when the first confrontation with scotty scotty's like we don't mind you be on the beach i mean if you're cool you can hang out on the beach. We don't care what the fuck you look like or or what mm-hmm. you're like. But if you're going to act like fucking assholes and have your dog run around and take people's tops off, by the way, that's kind of almost like, I don't know if these these people who made the film saw the uh, Crown International pictures of the day. They, they where... must have. They must have. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, these guys are basically Dugan, right? Like, yeah. like this is like, and, it, and, it's, and it's like, you know, we're, you know, California surfer dude you know, our hero here kind of going like, like um, voicing the new generation saying like, no, we're not doing films like that anymore. This is, this is really toxic and wrong. Let's do something that's a little bit more, you know, equitable. I mean, still it's, it's a movie that's, you know, putting naked women on the screen. It's not pushing that hard, but it's definitely, you know, trying to be like fair about it and, you know, trying to be like a decent guy. So uh, I definitely appreciated that element of it. Yeah. I, I will. What do you think of Decker Rash? Also known as Vixen, which was an actual yeah. band. Not bad. Not bad for, for for that sort of time period. Kind of, I'm I'm kind of wondering how Scotty knew about them because it's not like he had any previous contact with them. He's just like, I know, I'll go get this garage band that no one's ever heard of and uh, get them to play for our party. I kind of get the feeling he just he's just one of those guys that knows everybody. Like he's, yeah, he's a little bit of a, like a Ferris Bueller kind of character, you know? Yeah. Like uh, you know. Um... The, the the meathead Ferris Bueller is kind of how I see this. Guy. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's not quite as sociopathic as Ferris Bueller is. No, no, no. Ferris Bueller is absolutely a sociopath. But yeah. you know, but uh, how okay. lovable sociopath? Okay, I got, I gotta say this though. This movie builds up Scotty as like the ultimate ladies' man. He's cool. He's relaxed. He's a he's an he's a cool dude you want to hang out with. But when he meets up with Vixen and he starts snapping his fingers and dancing to their song. I'm like, I don't want to hang out with this guy ever again. Because yeah. <laughs> I want a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely one of those, uh, you know, he's cool because we're told he's cool. I mean, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah. A lot of these methods, I'm not sure, are particularly uh, effective in reality. I mean, I'm sure Scotty gets laid because he's a young, attractive, 
physically fit kind of guy. I mean, you know, he's, you know, guys like that, I mean, a lot of times basically get laid because, yeah, he's attractive. I mean, he's cute. Sure, I'll fuck him. Like, no problem. Um, I kind of get the feeling that a lot of the ladies, you know, like, in reality, they're like, yeah, I don't take him seriously. It's just sort of like, I just, he keeps talking and then eventually he takes his pants off and then he fucks me and that's great, you know. Yeah, because when he meets up with Vixen, he starts dancing like Carlton Banks, basically. (laughs) So, I mean... I mean, come on, dude. That that's a little that that's bad. That's pretty bad. Yeah. The actor uh, couldn't dance, and uh, yeah. they made him dance anyway. And that was the uh, that was the problem. But uh, yeah, okay. So, I can't dance at all, so I tend not to uh, blame actors for that. <laughs> I, I can't dance either, but I can't dance like a white guy either. So that okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so I got two questions for you. First one. Sure. Uh, at the end scene, there's the little part where the uh, quote-unquote, again, geeks uh, chase Scotty around. Uh, does the guy in the wheelchair die? He just pulled off the pier because he, <laughs> there's no follow-up. He's just he's in his wheelchair, and he's connected with a line to the uh, fishing pole, and he's pulled off the fucking pier. He, he can't swim. He's fucking a paraplegic. Yeah, I mean, uh, probably, yeah. The the sociopathic heart of the hard bodies uh, phenomenon that the uh, that people who are uh, disabled are uh, so beneath our contempt that they, we just murder one on screen and uh, you know the the audience will just go with it. That's the uh, that's the that's the dark heart of hard bodies. Really, the the, the moral center is right in that moment. You're you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and also, what do you think of? Uh, okay, so there's the subplot where. Scotty's trying to get Diaper Rash signed, who eventually become renamed Hard Bodies, signed to right. this uh, deal with this club owner who's a fitness club owner named Rocco, who was obviously a gangster in a previous life. Or in a current life. <laughs> yeah, or even now. Uh, what do you think of that guy's clothing? Because I thought we were going to go for a subplot where this guy eventually comes out as gay. But no, he just likes wearing that stuff in his club, apparently. I, I think I think he's, he's uh, you know, he, he caught on to the fitness craze a little bit late, didn't quite get it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, was just, uh, going with the clothes that he thought, like, fit the world. You know, that that's just sort of the... That's how I interpreted that. You know, there's a lot in these kind of movies that I just kind of go, yeah, it was the 80s. Like, yeah. like at a certain point, you just go, it was the 80s. They didn't know any better. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed that. I, I do like, like, the three the, the three old guys who enlist Scotty. Like, uh, their characters are all pretty well defined. Of course, Hunter's the big douchebag. Rounder is just kind of dumb. He doesn't know any better. And... For to his credit, he has an incredibly large penis. Apparently, so you know he'll 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 get along eventually. Uh, and again, of course, Ashby is the guy. Like he's he's the one decent guy. You know, like pretty pretty awesome. He's like he's like the best person in the film, really. Yeah. Like you know, he's just you know. And, and at first, when you first see him, you think, oh, they're going to make him into this like figure of fun. They're going to just make him the comic relief. But no, he's kind of the. The, the beating heart, you know, the, the yeah. heart on the sleeve kind of guy. Um, he even is like, uh, like he basically gets castigated by the other two dudes and he just kind of joins up with, uh, with Scotty and his friends and is like, yeah. sorry, I can't do anything anymore. You know, I'm, I'm here for you if you need me, you know, and I, I just kind of always thought like, yeah, they're, they're like, this is a lifelong friendship he's built, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I kind of imagine like uh, Ashby just like buys his own little bungalow on the beach and just ends up like hanging out and drinking rum on the beach and and uh, sleeping with the surfer girl like you know for the rest of his life. I think that should lead me into talking about the sequel to this film briefly. Okay, it's terrible. 
by the way. Uh, no sure. one should watch it. I, I noticed you didn't ask me to watch it because I kind of expected we were going to do two, both of them. You know? I, I really I really didn't want you to watch it because it's, it's, it's such a fucking major letdown from this film. There's still plenty of tits in it, but essentially it recasts Scotty, it recasts Rag. Uh, they're still technically trying to play the same characters, but they don't necessarily really have the same backstory as the first film. It involves them somehow getting on a film shoot in Greece. Um, <laughs> Ashby shows up again. Are there terrible Greek accents in the film? Some. Uh, okay. it, it, it's almost kind of a racist film, really, because it portrays Greece as this like fucking slum where all the hotels are shit, and and there's nothing but like Greece gangsters running around trying to like manipulate movie productions and stuff. But. Nice. It's terrible. I mean, Scotty has a disagreement with some other chick playing his girlfriend in that film, and it doesn't really follow the storyline in the first film at all, and it's just so fucking disappointing, and I fucking hate it. And uh, Ashby shows up in this, like I said, and and this one, he's, um, I guess, I I don't remember correctly because I don't really want to rewatch the film to confirm it, but he's with the... uh, older sister of um of Christie in, in the first film who was you know the uh who sold the house to them oh um, yeah sure 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 yeah and you know she was and she had this thing where she was talking to Ashby in the first film where you know there were two people sort of more of the same age group relating to each other which is yeah, I kind of uh, expected that to go somewhere. That, yeah, that was kind of the one thing, that, like the one of the weaknesses. You know, one of the. I mean, not that I'm going to blame it too much, but I kind of expected that subplot yeah. to, to go somewhere. And I suspect that, that if it was ten minutes longer, you would have gotten a a little bit more of that. You know. Yeah. So I, I guess that kind of comes out in the second film, but uh, <laughs> don't watch the second film. It's terrible. <laughs> Budget for this was less than two million. Apparently, I can't get an exact match on that, but uh, from some of the sources I was reading, there basically everyone I sort of read here said less than two million. So take it for what you will. The box office was seven million, so uh, it did pretty well for for its time. It's a modest hit, you know. Like it, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, and I'm good. sure, like on like on VHS and DVD and you know, like TV rights and stuff. It, I mean, this this definitely made some money. Yeah, cleaned up. Um, you can get a two-film set from Anchor Bay that has Hard Bodies and Hard Bodies 2, which is the one I own. Uh, I bought that from a dollar bin, like, years ago. But there's also a Blu-ray from Mill Creek, two-film set. Uh, and this one is bundled with Private Resort. And actually, I would probably recommend people look for that one, because Private Resort is a way better movie than fucking Hard Bodies 2. So that's probably your better deal right there. Fair enough. Uh, one more thing, uh, just uh, wanted to mention before we uh, kind of move on, is mm-hmm. uh, I really like the idea that the girls get the uh, comeuppance on Hunter mm-hmm. by using the wine trick that he's been using the whole movie on on the ladies. Like I, yeah, I really yeah. like that, that that they are the uh, actors that actually uh, you know kind of prove his uh, undoing to to a degree. You know, it doesn't come at uh, Scotty's hands or whatever. It comes at the the actual woman that he's been victimizing, and I. I really appreciated that element of it. I thought it was uh, really nice that, that that was there. You know. Also, I also like that the uh, that rag, the awkward ginger guy, gets gets laid in the end because he he's a stand up guy, even though he, he physically can't fucking beat up even that fucking schlub with the fucking wig. He tries, and that's right, enough. Right. <laughs> You're a stand up guy, sure. I'll throw a fuck your way. Yeah. That's pretty much the. <laughs> Although she, yeah, although, I get that. although I get she does that. say in the film it was worth the wait, so there you go. <laughs> Apparently, he's pretty good in bed. Yeah. You know who yeah. knows? He's got those ginger moves. Uh, yeah. 
Um, yeah, yeah, so uh, after this, I think I'll just briefly mention uh, the short film that I, uh, I thought of when, uh, when watching this. It's called Cool Guys. Nothing's gonna change, Rick. Look at us. Are there any babes around? No. You're right, buddy. We could just sit up here all day long like fucking dorks. Or we can get the hell out of this city. Go somewhere where nobody knows us. We can be cool. Mind if I oil you up? Mind if I oil you up? I'm Haley. Hi. And that guy over there is my boyfriend, the mayor's son. Out of my town, dorks. You ain't wanted here. Cool off, Christine. <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> From the future, something terrible is going to happen at the party tonight. Canadian production company called Astron 6, which uh, do sort of low-budget stuff. They did The Editor, 
is probably their most notable film, which is one I mentioned is one of my favorite films from the previous year. Written and directed by Astron Smithy, so that's sort of their <laughs> pseudonym for this one. <laughs> this, this, this doesn't even have a uh, idea of the um, sort of listing. It's just like a sort of a free film. Uh, I'll, I'll actually link it on, on the show notes for you to see. It's a 30-minute film. And it kind of draws from Hard Bodies to, down to the point where the main music title from it by uh, Jeremy Gillespie basically rips off the Hard Bodies theme to very good degree. Like, it just sounds totally like the Hard Bodies theme. And it's, it's about these three guys who go to the beach to hook up with chicks, very much like Hard Bodies. They're, they're almost like sort of stand-ins for the three old guys. Although they just, you know, they don't have the young guy trying to get them, get them laid. It has an opening montage of uh, all the attractive girls on the beach taking their clothes off and stuff. No nudity in it, but it's like an all like really uh, lurid bikini shots and stuff like that. Sure. Um, Baywatch style action. Yeah, and it's kind of like hard bodies on VH or uh, not VHS, but like home movie camera kind of quality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes a dire turn <laughs> in, in, at the end of the film. Uh, it, it's it's like hard bodies meets Jacob's Ladder essentially. <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah, because all three of these guys are douchebags, and they have this party where they just do, like, a ton of Coke and whiskey, and (laughs) it eventually gets to the point where there's a body involved and a murder, and they have to bury the body, but they still have to go through those 80s tropes where they have to save the... uh, the little uh, uh, canteen shop on the beach from the mayor and his, his <laughs> son. So they, they have to go to the concert and start up a band like in Revenge of the, Revenge of the Nerds and uh, or Revenge of the Nerds 2, actually. And, uh, you know, they have to save the day and all that shit. And then there's just like montage at the end of ma- magazine articles about the body discovered that they buried and <laughs> all, all, all the, all the uh, drama around that. And it's actually really well done. It does really invoke like a lot of the '80s tropes that uh, Hard Bodies is kind of the epitome of. Like when you think about it, although you know, of course, Hard Bodies isn't sleazy or or lurid or dark in, 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 to any degree, but this one like kind of uses that to make like almost a horror movie to a certain degree. And yeah, um, no, it's, it sounds like it sounds like like kind of one of those like late '90s like uh, genre twist kind of things you know, where you know you like you. Basically, it's just like, oh, we're going to start off with, like, a bachelor party and then make it really fucked up, dude. Like, <laughs> that sounds like a good version of that, you know? It's it's really good, though. Like, there's just some really cool moments in it. Like, there's one moment where one character eats. There's all this crazy shit going on at the party, and then he hides in the bathroom, and then, like, he has a vision of his future self saying, something's really, something really bad's going to happen at this party. you got to stop it. And... <laughs> <laughs> then it gets interrupted by the guy who's uh, probably the guy who killed the woman <laughs> in the party. Right. Yeah, but it, it's it's really interesting. And Astron Six are I've championed them before on this podcast. They're really good. So yeah, it's it's worth checking out. Again, I'll, I'll link it in the show notes if anyone's interested in seeing it. it. Has a pretty good connection to Hard Bodies, I think here. So that's why. Yeah, it's so fun. Here 
here out in the sun We know what you want, we've got what you need And everyone's ready to come When you walk by, we'll meet eye to eye Oh my, I just want to Someone die Someone should have told you that we're cool guys Hanging on the beach all night Cool guys Hanging on the beach all night Yeah Run, baby, I'm ready for more Bring all your friends if they want to come The more girls, the more that I hum I'm sick of playing all by myself Sitting alone while I cry Someone should have told you that we're cool guys Hanging on the beach all night All night Cool guys Hanging on the beach all night Cool guys Make your summer last all night Cool guys Hanging on the beach all night I guess we can move on now to Perfect Timing from 1986. Meet Harry Crane, the famous photographer. What are you doing? I'm shooting the wall. Think of the bodies that have come through here. Why do I have to take my clothes off? Show about this moth that disintegrates women's clothing. Harry Crane doesn't know it, but time is running out. Harry doesn't seem worried. This is no ordinary loft. This place is a shrine. It should be declared a national monument. Harry, we've got to get that money. You're in there shooting freebies when you know you've got to come up with 60000 in three days. How's it going to look when the great Harry Crane gets thrown out on the street? How much did you have in mind? 60000 You won't do it for a cent, though. Well, I get some money. You're hot. You can't have some no-name do your first video. It could bust your career. I thought you were a professional. I came here to offer you a very lucrative job opportunity. Jerk. He's an artist? Yeah, well, he's an artist and a jerk. Look, Charlotte, try and understand Harry for a change, okay? If you walk out on this, you walk out on the chance of a lifetime. Think about it. You don't have a choice. Harry Crane is focusing on all the exposure he can get. It's only a matter of perfect timing.
directed by Rene Bonnier, written by William DeSita, and I'll let you get right into the uh, synopsis. Harry Crane is a brilliant photographer, or so we're told, who had a massive hit book about female fantasy some time ago, but has frittered away his fortune on pursuing, shall we say, less commercial interests, like supporting his fellow artist friends living and working in his New York loft, and taking high-end photographs of brick walls. He needs $60,000 in three days or he's going to be evicted. But what friends he has. His brother Joe is living large under Harry's largesse and has a significantly less circumspect attitude towards the bevy of nude beauties throwing themselves at his famous photographer brother. And his long-suffering and gorgeous assistant Charlotte just wants Harry to maintain some semblance of financial security. What a bourgeois system of values, right? Into this mix comes Joe's rock star girlfriend, Bonnie, a sexual dynamo who has a seeming intense allergic reaction to clothes of any kind and a desperate and pervasive need of a hard cock. Shall we say, my type? Yeah. <laughs> You're also introduced to a lovely blonde businesswoman who can solve all of the financial woes of the happy collective. If only Harry will go back to his former erotic roots and is willing, nay, eager, to use her feminine wiles to convince him to do so. All the while, an erotic and romantic relationship is formed between Harry and Charlotte, which comes to a head during an extended sequence in which Joe films an essentially softcore pornographic music video for the video vixen Bonnie and secures the financial future for those living in the loft for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and uh, this is a, another very obscure Canadian production, uh, just like One Night Only. And, of course, this actually, uh, and I'm sure this is probably where the you got this sort of connection for this one. It's it's produced by Stephen J. Roth, who also did One Night Only. So I think that's probably where you... Yeah, it, it kind of came up in my uh, kind of recommended feed. It kind of the research I did last week for One Night Only, this title came up. And really, not just the, not the title... It was the like video box, which I saw, which mm-hmm. had um, the lovely Bonnie on the cover. And uh, I, oh, I need to see this. Just see what this is. Click on it. Find out, oh, it's uh, about New York artists getting into sexy hijink misadventures. And I said, this is something I need to see. Lee, can we do this? And you mm-hmm. said, okay. And that was kind of the process yeah. by which we decided to do this film. Because, again, just like One Night Only, I'd seen this on Canadian television uh, late night. So this is another one of those cheapies that they picked up to, to show all the time. So I, I do remember this one quite fondly. I would suggest that this could have been retitled All, Fa- all Photographers Get Fucked or Invasion of the Merkins, one or the other. Although I don't think there's actually any Merkins employed. I think no, this no. is all natural bush. No, I, 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 doubt, I doubt there's an actual Merkin. I think this is uh, pretty... Pretty much, uh, you know, this is all organic, you know. Yeah, no, so no, no. this downright feels like a European movie to a certain extent. Like, it, I, I, I was, I was thinking part, perhaps because the director is kind of French, uh, you know, mm-hmm. French name. I was kind of, I was kind of in the mind of like French farce almost, like these kind mm-hmm. of uh, sexy farce uh, kind of ideas, uh, almost like a stage play. You can, I mean, this is yeah. this is basically. Um, Entirely shot in one lo- in the loft. I mean, you you really yeah. get you get very minimal coverage outside the loft at all. Yeah, and for the most part, it's really just kind of like some exterior shots that are clearly like second unit shooting in the streets of New York, and then you get uh, you know some some very uh, very brief outdoor scenes. But for the most part, the entire film takes place in this one set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would I would dare say there's not even any shots in the streets of New York. Uh, I think it's all skyline shots because you see the twin yeah, towers. It's all, sorry, it's, it's it's all skyline. I'm yeah. sorry. The, the, well, no, I mean the the rest of it is. I mean, I'll I'll just say like just being Canadian and seeing a lot of Canadian exploitation films. Uh, clear, clearly, this is all Montreal. Yeah, all, all the all the in stuff, all the inside stuff is Montreal and. 
you know, yeah, I, I wasn't trying to imply they actually did street shooting. I, I just kind no, of no, 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 no. I wasn't. But yeah, no, it was entirely um, like skyline shots. Um, really, you could stage this as a stage play. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of has a lot of the rhythms that you would kind of expect yeah. in that. People are kind of wandering in and out, and you kind of get into funny, sexy conversations, and the plot's kind of happening. It's almost a sitcom, isn't it? Like, <laughs> it's very, it very feels like a sitcom. Partly because of, um, you know. Uh, so, so overall thoughts. I really liked this film. I, I, I think, I think I might have even liked this even better than Hard Bodies. Um, this one, this does, this does just kind of speak to me. It's just kind of a fun, silly movie. Um, I really like that it's a film about adults. You know, right. um, so many of these sex comedies are basically about like people who are like between the ages of sixteen and, and twenty three, who have you know. You know, oh, I need to save the ranch or whatever. And this yeah. is this is kind of about a dude who has has it within his capacity to completely solve this problem by just making a book. You know, I mean, all he has to do is take the money that these people are keep throwing at him, but like chooses not to, which I think is more interesting. You know, on on mm-hmm. some kind of fundamental level, um, and the fact that you've got like adult characters kind of like making you know, kind of adult decisions and kind of having, you know, not hard conversations. These are not like complicated thematic things, but I mean, you know, it is kind of like, no, I'm an artist. I don't want to do that. He he has enough uh, sense of his own wealth and his own ability that like, he has no like actual money woes. And he's yeah. like, I can support everybody. Don't worry. We're going to figure this out. It's just going to, you know, I just don't want to, I want to do it on my terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I really liked that kind of element of it, you know? Um, plus, again, he's just kind of a decent guy. You know, the, yeah. the girl comes in and she's been, like, abused by the brother who, you know, kind of manipulated her and taking her clothes off. And he's like, no, I'll take your photo. Don't worry. Put your clothes on. We'll take some photos. It'll be." And then he gives her a really good experience. And then she walks in and she's happy. And it's like, yeah, tell your dad. I said, hi. <laughs> just yeah. always like, a, you know. I mean, they kind of bury the line, but it's a little bit of it's a funny line, right? You know? Yeah. No, that actually, there's a lot of funny stuff in this. But this one actually had some good lines that I actually laughed at. It's 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 funny. Again, uh, you you brought up in Hard Bodies. Well, actually, before Hard Bodies, where we could kind of kind of talk about the difference between West Coast and East Coast. Here, the majority of the women, like about ninety nine percent of the women featured in this, are brunettes. They're slim. Yeah. And they have real bodies. The body image here is vastly different in a lot of ways. I mean, they're still they're still slender, conventionally attractive women. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. so let's not let's not you know make it more than it is. But I mean, it's not like fetishizing that like fitness culture and the yeah. way hard bodies definitely does. Um, you also get just a sense, and kind of where I would go, East Coast West Coast is that the West Coast is kind of you know the tan to beach body, whereas this is mm-hmm. like bohemian artistic types. You know, yeah, exactly. um, creamy, love- creamy white. Women with, uh, yeah. Cream, cream, creamy white thighs. Lots of creamy white yeah. thighs and tits. I really appreciated basically all the characters. Like, they were just women kind of walking around without their clothes on. And, I mean, nobody takes it seriously at all. It's just, it's just yeah. like, yeah, this is just life. I'm not going to say I live, like, this kind of life, you know, in, in you know an expensive um, house. But there have been times in my life when, you know, women just decide to walk around naked in my house. And that's pretty much kind of the attitude you take. It's like, all right, yeah, it's yeah. a thing. You know, you do your thing, yeah, yeah. Go, like, hey, not mind to not mind to look at or touch unless you know you want it to be. But you know, if you if you happen to be this uh, nymphomaniac rocker chick who just wants yeah. to jump on dicks all day, then hey, I'm right here. You know, uh, you take off that incredibly uh, uncomfortable, sweaty looking leather one piece that you were wearing initially in the film, and you never see again. And then yeah, <laughs> yeah, she, she she man, she is something right yeah and this is like one I, of only like maybe two or three roles she had she, she she had three roles she was in a movie called breaking all the rules um which i'm definitely gonna have to see 
Which um, I think was the uh, previous one to this that the director did. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and then like in 2000, she has a bit part in some TV movie, and then that's yeah. it. Yeah. And I, I honestly like I, you know, this is. Uh, I mean, I talked about this a lot last week, so I'm not gonna, you know, this is again. We we kind of talk about it. Another one of those like basically is on its way to becoming lost. Like it's only available mm-hmm. on VHS. Where we watch this Ray uh, VHS rip, um, which is pretty good quality. The version that we found. Yeah. Um, uh, I also uh, hope you include a link in the show notes to the to the uh, downloadable version. Um, again, so well. um, I normally wouldn't do that and encourage people to pirate these things, but there's no real legal way to get this. There's so. no other way to get it. Yeah, that's the thing. And this is, I, I mean, I think this is better than um, one night only. Uh, no question in my mind. I think this is. It is. It's it's better acted. It has a better story. I think I think I think this is actually worth like taking the time to to download and watch um, if mm-hmm. you're if you're listening to this podcast. I really liked the girl in the cast uh, in in the plaster. Uh, mm-hmm. So you've got an artist who's a sculptor. I, I didn't even list. That. I was just going to list all the characters in the synopsis. And just went, <laughs> oh, we'll talk about it in the episode. It's fine. Uh, but you got this artist character, this sculptor, who uh, Ziggy. Uh, Ziggy, who is. Um, <laughs> Apparently, trying to encase people in plaster, and then like uses a flower because he's run out of plaster of Paris. Yeah, and then I uh, can't get the poor girl out of the, the the plaster, and so she spends the bulk of the film in the in the plaster, kind of gradually being exposed. And yeah, she kind of finds ways of like breaking through little pieces of it. So like, what a, what you know, a great sex- are exposed, and then you know like what a what a great sex comedy gimmick. Like that that's that I think that rank ranks up there as one of the best. Oh, no. it's it's totally like one of those things. Again, it feels like a stage production where you could just kind of have her on stage, just kind of sitting there, and then like Riley commenting on things. I mean, yeah. One thing I was struck by is like you know this is again another case where the aesthetics of the '80s are kind of getting in its way a little bit, mm-hmm. um, particularly with the some of the musical store score stuff towards yeah. the first half or so. Um, it definitely decreases as the as the film goes on, but some of the score, some of the the music cues and the sound cues are just awful and just like completely distract from yes. like the the stuff that's in the that, film. That is that is kind of an problem especially the 80s where there's just constant music in the background all the time and you don't need it and again it plays to that kind of like 80s sitcom aesthetic you know Mm -hmm. you kind of put your finger on where it feels like oh we have to tell people there's a joke here or else you know i kind of wish that this had been made like 10 years later because if this had been like part of that like indie boom if this had been like you know contemporaneous with like reality bites there could be like a really interesting like kind of indie 90s comedy or even like short shortcuts or something like that. Like it reminds me a bit. I mean, it's it's one of those like ensemble. Like I mean, you could easily imagine a like nineties ensemble like characters drama comedy. That's mm-hmm. you know this this could be an early David O. Russell film basically. Yeah, yeah. Could, it's not hard to imagine a flirting with disaster, but like this kind of idea. Um, we're kind of damning with faint praise. This film isn't far from that. It's just not doing that thing. You know, yeah. it's, it's clearly kind of a low budget. It's, it's there to throw tits at the screen, but it's telling a story and it's got some really interesting stuff in it. I really like Ziggy. Ziggy's a lot of fun just mm-hmm. kind of walking around. I like the uh, the Harry character. I think he's he's kind of an interesting kind of guy. Yep. I like the performance. I like the relationship he has with his assistant. I really like the um, advertising person, the catalog uh, lady who kind oh, of yeah. I forgot. I kind of rewatched a little bit of it this afternoon and I mean, the first time I watched it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is kind of a subplot. It takes up a good, like, 20, 30 minutes of the film, you know, this this kind of chunk of, uh, you know, the 
woman seducing him essentially and trying to get him to uh take photos for the for the catalog and uh you know like she has to like offer him sixty thousand dollars and sleep with him and he's still like no thanks fuck you guys i'll sleep with you that's fine but you know i'm not i'm not gonna you know did i even list the cast of this i i think i did. didn't no, no. <laughs> you, listed, you listed the uh you listed the uh writer and director and then did not list the cast and i uh yeah, all right sure oh well whatever there, there is like semi contrast here between um, silly sex scenes and then this like like straight up softcore. Like Harry mm-hmm. has has the straight up softcore stuff with the uh, ad advertising uh, girl there, Lacey or whatever, uh, Nancy yep. Caesar or Cesar or whatever her name is, and uh, her and his manager, of course, uh, Sh- Charlotte at the end. Uh, but then you have all these like fun, energetic sex scenes. The one with Bonnie, where she just basically jumps on his face. <laughs> like this is the only this is the only kind of uh, sex comedies from this era that I can think of that actually has like face writing on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this is this is straight up raunchy, particularly Bonnie. Yeah. I mean, Bonnie is just like I'm amazed that that actress did not go on. I mean, maybe she just didn't, didn't want to do it. Yeah, want to do it. I mean. Maybe she just wasn't really an actress, and this is just kind of who she was, and just kind of you know, I mean, who knows? Maybe maybe she also ran into that situation of like all she could get were these kind of roles, and she wanted to do yeah. other stuff or whatever. You know, one of the things that we run into in in these kinds of films, and then you know, particularly in you know, in straight up pornography, is you know, people do it for a little while, and they kind of build a little bit of a name for themselves, but then basically you put your clothes on and you change your haircut, and you can just go on and just be a regular mm-hmm. person again. You know, I kind of suspect that's what happened to her is she just kind of went, you know, I did a couple of movies. I don't really like it. And then moved on. The one thing I was surprised by is how little information there is about this film. Like, I mean, there's just, there's just no. Oh, I, I, you know what I had to go through to get the trailer to this one. I had to find someone who had an obscure trailer reel of several different trailers from this VHS company. And I had to rip that from that reel to get this trailer <laughs> well um the 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 song that yeah i mm-hmm. mean i think we decided you're gonna i literally yes. ripped the song from the film yeah so the version that you're going to hear actually has like the dialogue sequences from yeah. the film and then i went and i was looking at like clearly this is like a recorded song like this is this is mm-hmm. not like i mean it's made for the film clearly but it's also you know it's it's there somebody went their studio time like there's money like somebody owns the rights to this song yeah. And I can't find any information about this song whatsoever. I, I was looking at the credits, and I mean, the song's called Building Up, and like some of the lyrics in this, like, uh, looking for a muscle or whatever that will stand up. Um, looking for a muscle that will stand up all night long, which yeah. is clearly in no way a double entendre. No, no, of course not. Uh, but, like, the music uh, director or whatever on this film, uh, Marvin Dolgay, apparently wrote this song. And I was looking at the end credits here because I wanted to get, like, the name of the person singing. And it's like, I can't fucking... Just because the quality is just a little bit too low, I can't yeah. even decipher who actually sung it. It was just like, okay, so I have to go with Marvin Dolgay as the guy who did the song, basically. Right, right, yeah. So. No. I mean, that would that would be definitely interesting to see because clearly it's not... Uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, what, oh, Papushka. Papushka, yes. Papushka uh, Dimitro is actually her full name. <laughs> Yeah, no, uh, it's clearly not uh, Papushka singing, you know, certainly not antiagetically. Um, and uh, if you watch that that uh, kind of music video sequence, which, by the way, that sequence is like seven minutes long. 
Mm-hmm. I know because I ripped it. I mean, that's a this is this is a significant portion of the film, and probably where like probably like a third of the money spent on the film was spent on this. Yeah, uh, on this one sequence, it's a really dynamite sequence. Mm-hmm. Like this is this is a a really fun little like little bit of cinema. Um, definitely, I mean, one of the highlights of I think really all the sex comedies we're going to do this this time. I think are you know. You know, I, I will say sight unseen for the rest of them that this is probably one of my favorite sequences in any of the films we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, if you if you watch her body language whenever she starts to like, because uh, she's she uh, there are several moments where like the camera kind of swings around and she's kind of coming with it, and then she has to walk backwards and she has to look back to make sure she's not stepping on shit. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I'm like, what is this, is this like a dance move she's doing? And I'm like, no, she just can't fucking see behind her. Yeah. <laughs> Do multiple takes, so she just had to like. <laughs> so she's like looking back, and then she looks back to camera, and I mean, she sells it off pretty well. I'm not, you know, it's not, but yeah. it's definitely once you once you know it's there, she does it a lot. Um, it, it's uh, it's kind I, of charming, actually. I love her though. She's she's one of these like uh, she 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 feels authentic. Like this is actually what she's like in real life. Like she's this like punk rock chick from the 1980s yeah. who says everything sucks. Like she, she spends the time going through the house, like whether she's clothed or naked. She walks up to people. Oh yeah, what do you do? And oh, this. Oh, yeah, and that. she talks to Ziggy, and it's like Ziggy's yeah. like, yeah. he's like, oh, you're you're Bonnie. He has a Bonnie B sex or whatever her name yeah. is, you know. But oh, you're Bonnie so and so. Like I know, and it's like, oh, you're oh, you're Ziggy. What's his name? Oh, I've seen your stuff. It's 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 not it's not very good. It sucks. <laughs> like, it sucks. She, she flat out says it sucks, but keep trying, you know. It sucks, but hey, you're doing what you do. It's great. I mean, um, she's just very authentic. Like I, I was, I was very much on the like I was on the Bonnie train in this. Oh, especially the thing I like is like she she says, you know, it sucks, and then afterwards she sort of alludes to like you know, yeah, get your shit together and look me up, and we'll fuck. Yeah, yeah, no, she's she, she's very she's very much like uh, you know that that's just kind of what she does. And she's just like I, she spends the whole like movie just trying to fuck more. Like yeah. her her whole like attitude is like, why am I not fucking right now? I have to go and like sing this song so that then I can fuck later. Like you know, yeah. she's literally like getting this guy to make a deal for the music video so that then she can fuck the guy. Like exactly, that's... like she does, she doesn't even care about her manager's music deal. She's like, this guy says he can do my video. I don't care if he does my video. He's just like the new guy that's really good at fucking me, and he's, I want to fuck him some more. This is this is the best sex I've had in months. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. And I, I mean, it's such a like rock star cliche though. Like yeah. they, like they really are that self involved and like yeah, I, she's, I bought it completely. She's just she's, she's like Mick Jagger, but because it's a woman, yeah, it's like this complete yeah, she, you know like that, like reinvention. You know, she's that like comes right out of that hedonistic seventies rock star, you know, male rock star that you would think of. Like she's the eighties sort of version of that, and it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. I mean. No, she's such. I mean, and the, and the actress is great. The, I mean, obviously she's fucking gorgeous. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you, know, I mean, you know, it's that kind of movie. I mean, you know, literally she walks in, and you know, within a minute she's taking off her clothes and is just completely yeah. naked. Um, and she spends most of the film in very little to no clothing. Um, and as do as do most of the uh, yeah. people in this film. Uh, quite honestly, it, this, it, this, is a, this is a film. I think every scene has nudity in it. Like, like every much. Scene, it is. Yeah. It is constant. 
<laughs> and uh, Harry just being bemused, you know. Yeah, well, well, Harry. Uh, I think, I think Charlotte. Charlotte just kind of pokes him and goes like, "She's a casual dresser, isn't she?" <laughs> and just sort of laughs, like, "Yeah, yeah." Like yeah, Harry's, yeah. Harry's, here's the guy who's already seen it all. So he's like, "Yeah, it's cool, whatever." Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, this is this is where uh, you know uh, Bob from Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. This is where he'd be like five years down the line. It's yeah. kind of like, yeah, like you know, it's a. I mean, yeah, she's pretty. Like, I mean. It's just kind of seen, you know, if she's not going to fuck me, it doesn't matter. You know, like, fine. Like, yeah, you look gorgeous. Congratulations. But, you know. yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, Harry's the kind of guy. He, he probably, he was probably a lot more like his brother when he was younger. And he's like, you know, fucking everything that moves. And now yeah. he's at the he's at the age where he's mature. And he's like, yeah, okay, that's cool, whatever. And he's just kind of, even though his, even though his brother's, like, semi-rapey, it's like, you know, he'll grow out of it. His, his brother is... Yeah, semi rapey is being a little bit kind. I mean, he's definitely well, like manipulating people. He's not. Well, he's he's lying to women to get them to sleep with him. Yeah, he's not forcing anything, but he does like film the the girl without her consent. You know. Yeah. So, well, so. I, I, I actually I think the worst part is when he's like the woman in the plaster where he's sticking his hand down in front of her thing. Oh, is, yeah. is this too tight on you or whatever? It's like Jesus Christ, dude, come on. And, <laughs> He, he he's definitely a creepster, but he's he's kind of portrayed as a creepster. But then again, he kind of becomes the hero at the end of the movie because yeah, he well, makes the music video. So you know, he, he's he's portrayed as an immature creepster who actually kind of yeah. well, not necessarily learns the errors of his ways, but you get the impression that eventually he will. Because yeah. if if Harry tolerates him, then there must be something good in him, and eventually, you know. Yeah, and uh, by the standards of these kinds of movies, you know, he's not that bad. No, no, no. no. <laughs> you know? he, he's not Hunter from Hard Body, so... No, no, no. Or, uh, or the ginger rapist from the van. <laughs> Still the, the, you know, not even uh, Lewis from Revenge of the Nerds, you know? Like, no, you know, no. Like, he's, you know, like, like, you know... You know, once you, once you start looking at all these sex comedies, it, you, you really do get different standards. You know, you find a moral gray area really fast. Oh... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, what did you think of the, uh, I mean, the overarching plot, which is, you know, the, the kind of impending eviction sort of thing. And I kind of connect it to, you know, all those, like, the ski, you know, the ski houses is, you yeah. know, we I mean, gotta, I mean, is... it's, it's basically that plot, but it's it's also kind of like, yeah, I'm an artist, I, I they handed a piece of paper to me, but I couldn't be bothered to read it and sign it, and well, so now I owe $60,000, you know. Yeah, well, well, this one, it doesn't feel like there's much... Um... Not that any of these other movies feel like this, but there's it doesn't feel like there's that much intimate sort of danger to it. Like yeah. it, it kind of feels like a okay, that's the plot point that's going to drive the plot, and then you you get into the characters and you're interested to see what the characters do. Whereas with some of these other ones, maybe it's a bit more important. And it's kind of weird. This is '86. Hard Bodies was '84, but this feels like a movie that was made in like 1978, 79, just because the way it looks. Um, yeah, I mean that—that's kind of the slightly the kind of lower budget, um, you know, kind of all interiors kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, so when I look at it, it almost feels like it's the proto version of those kind of like we have to save the surf shop, we have to save the drive-in well, kind of thing. I, I almost see it. I almost see it. I mean, I don't disagree with you, but I almost see it as is kind of the op, like the other end where it's like we've seen that plot enough times where now we're just going to do like you know. You know, it kind of comes from this like domestic reality. You know, like yeah, like, well, this kind of like middle aged guy who like just couldn't be bothered to, you know, sign I, his name to a piece of paper as opposed yeah, to yeah. you know like 
the evil land developer is after this apartment or whatever, you know, like it, it would be easy to write a really stupid version of this. And this, you know, it comes out of the character as opposed to being some kind of artificial thing that, that kind of, which again makes this, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to give it like too much credit, but it feels like a real movie. It does not feel like, yes. you know, this kind of contrived plot that's just there for, for shits and giggles. I mean, it actually has this kind of like a, a very clear through line, which I, I like. And, you know, everything in the film is kind of there for a reason, you know, mm-hmm. it, you know, the, the, um, the various elements, you know, the various kind of women who kind of wander in and out each have kind of, they, they reveal character of the other people in the film or, you know, whatever the girl in the plaster kind of acts as like a little bit of comic relief, but also kind of, you know, it portrays this world. Like this is just kind of where we live, you know, it kind of, uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like Empire Records, you know, where you've got like yeah. the, the guy who has to sit on the couch for for you know <laughs> that sort of thing, you know. Um, it it kind of has that kind of feel of, of that sort of thing, and again, it's not written in this like really intensive, you know, like character based way, but it's fun, it's goofy, it's heartfelt. It yeah. doesn't mean much, but um, you do get a dick shot, so you 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 know a little you bit of gender like two parody. Or three dick shots, yeah. yeah you, you get the guy in the snow, which is I always like seeing uh, naked people in the snow. So it's it's you know you know they're jumping the snow. There's like actually steam rising from how hot their yeah. bodies are. <laughs> yeah. So they they just jumped off like a warm fucking room to to right to the snow. And it's like okay. Yeah, it's like that's yeah, how, that's how horny Bonnie is. Like yeah, she's, it, just, she's it, like, I gotta fuck this guy in the snow, you know. Yeah, if if you're gonna fuck Bonnie, you might want to take her back inside because you're not doing anything in that snow by the looks of things. Just just saying, <laughs> just saying. There are more ways to have sex than just with your cock, but you know, well, yeah, but you know, I don't, I don't think Joe knows too many of those though, because he seemed probably. pretty surprised when Bonnie sat on his face. Those... Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, Harry. I bet Harry's got the got that down though. Harry yeah. knows, but but Joe is like confused, and Bonnie's like, just breathe out of your ears while you're <laughs> he's fucking me <laughs> she is really she's really like mean about it like she's yeah. like come on somebody fuck me already i yeah, just well, want to fuck you know? there 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 is no there is no small talk between bonnie it's like are you gonna fuck me or are you gonna fuck me one or the other i, it's I like, kept expecting uh, dean sockwell to show up and go here's to your fuck bonnie here's to your fuck <laughs> <laughs> Someone needs to supercut this film where she's jumping on Joe and then it just cuts to that moment with Dean Sockwell here's like here's to your fuck. And then it cuts up. <laughs> Someone just need, just put that one part in the film and then release the film. It doesn't have to be yeah. anything else. I shot some incredible stuff the other day. <laughs> great, Joe. Really great. I give up. Shut up, Joe. I'm gonna be nice to you for about five minutes, so pay attention, okay? The market's glutted with tits and ass. Who really gives a shit? You gotta do what Sock says. You gotta blow people's pants off. Yeah? So how do I do that, huh? Me and my girls will take care of everything. No. Come over here and remind me why I spend so much time with you.
Here's to your fuck. Cheers. Cheers. Wow, suave man. You are so fucking suave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Fun movie. Um, I don't know that I have much else to say about it. I yeah, mean, I, I don't either. I mean, it's a lot of just, fun. It's a lot of fun. There, it's just it's not very deep. No, uh, it is exactly what it is. Kind of. Um, you can see. You know, there are a lot of um, the Skinamax films I watched in the in my kind of twenties mm-hmm. that sort of have this slightly more artistic bent to them. Um, so this kind of felt like kind of a, a genre I was kind of familiar with and kind of comfortable in to, to some degree. I mean, you know, we're basically, it's like, yeah, we've, we're kind of making an excuse to put, you know, women half naked for the entire film. But, uh, you know, it's basically just, you know, we're going to tell you a little bit of the story while we're at it. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing. This this makes excuses for nudity, but it actually has characters, unlike a lot of the, like, 90s kind of softcore sex stuff which is just like the pretense of oh these are artists in this place and they're fucking and you don't really get a sense that these people are artists at all like here you actually get a sense that yeah these are actually people who have professions and they're actually have interests and desires and stuff like that it's like you said it's not super deep but there's at least something more than there than just the pretense of it all. So yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's and they're not just attractive people getting naked and pretending mm-hmm. to call them. They're attractive people who are playing vaguely defined characters who are pretending yeah. to call them. So you know, yeah, say scripted lines with their mouth holes. It's, it's yeah. pretty impressive. <laughs> um, I did want to uh, talk about the uh, just just slightly the the kind of confluence of like pornography and uh, music videos. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is something that uh, there have been some attempts to do this to kind of do like kind of hardcore softcore pornography and like combine it. Um, certainly in, in '86, you would have been you know kind of right before Madonna started doing like her sex phase and you know that yeah. sort of thing. Um, but you know later on, I mean, you've seen. Uh, I know there are some hip hop artists who have done this. Uh, there was a a uh, Romstein music video I think called Teenage Pussy. Which right, actually superimpose right. kind of CGI members of Romstein into uh, hardcore pornography, which is yeah. uh, um, weird. If that's your thing, then <laughs> go do that. But for the most part, this is not like a, a like a, a ticket to like massive success, you know. And certainly yeah. in '86, when you couldn't, the internet wouldn't exist, and you would have had to sell this stuff in you know like skeezy video stores and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, probably would not have been a big thing. What's more interesting is uh, when you find like uh, porn stars and porn companies that actually will like kind of make their own music and kind of like combine. There's a, a kind of porn producer, porn actress named Joanna Angel, who uh, kind of uh, started off as part of Evil Angel and then kind of broke off into her own thing and uh, actually has a kind of deep roots in the punk scene and like basically has music composed for all of her videos. Nice. And uh, so some pretty cool stuff. There's a, uh, a fun song called Rock and Roll in My Butthole, uh, which I would recommend. <laughs> Uh, it's a it's a it's a fun little ditty, which is uh, all about how Joanna Angel likes to take it in the ass. So uh, go check that out. It's probably I thought about recommending it for the uh, for the end of music, but uh, much rather uh, go out on the uh, the song from the actual film. But uh, yeah, go go check it out, audience. Um, you know, and make sure to look for the one with Joanna Angel and not because there's another rock and roll in my butthole which isn't related. <laughs> well, well, uh, send me the link and I'll put it in the show notes. We'll 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. For any inquiring people. Um, inquiring people, go check out go check out Joanna Angel, the uh, kind of known also as like the kind of one of the big Jewish porn stars. She's, she's oh, really? Kind of pop rock princess tattoos and shit, you know, so. Um, <laughs> she's hot. She's great. <laughs> um, I love Joanna Angel, so. There, there definitely was like a lot of uh, punk rock and stuff in, in that period that definitely touched on those sort of subject matter. And they just, you know, they couldn't connect it with video for the most part because MTV was the dominant thing at that time. So you weren't going to see that on fucking MTV with Dire Straits, you know, or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So, Well, and it's interesting how like the 80s was this time period of like great like innovation within the arts world, within, you know, kind of the visual arts and, and theater and that sort of thing. There was, a, there really was this vibrant like New York community of starving artists who were doing some really, really brilliant work basically because the eighties just absolutely sucked for everybody. And mm-hmm. so, you know, the, the counterculture was strong because, you know, Reagan was an asshole. And, yeah. You know, well, well, you know, art, art said it's best when it's reacting to something. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, this film doesn't really deal with that at all, but uh, no. it, it comes out. Of, I mean, it's portraying that world, even though it's not like, dealing with it. I mean, it, it, it's contemporaneous with that, so it's definitely... Well, there, there, there's not even really, like, uh, like there's no ideological thing in here. Like, there's no conservative no. character. I mean, even Michelle Scarabelli's character, Charlotte, I mean, she's not presented as this, like, uptight fucking... No, I mean, she, she's, she's the manager of a, of a photographer who did a, like, erotic female yeah. fantasy book, you know. There's, there's no, there's no like, conservative asshole in the film. There's no real conflict in the film. No. Which is almost, which is actually kind of a good thing. It's actually kind of like, oh, yeah, so the film can just kind of be what it there, is. There's no know? conflict just when Harry decides finally, yeah, okay, I'll do this. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> That's it. There's, there's no... <laughs> basically, basically, no, it's not even that. Joe makes the 60 grand so they can have, they can keep yeah. the loft. Harry's big decision is like, oh, I actually do want to fuck my manager. And yeah. she's like, I want to fuck you too. And then that's the, um, the, the music video is interesting because like the, the music video is intercut with uh, Harry and Charlotte kind of uh, yeah. you know, having their love scene. And the love scene is clearly like taking place in the middle of the party. But Harry and Charlotte are so fucked up on whatever they're drinking that they have no like memory of it later. <laughs> And don't even remember the fact that like there was a party and that the cops came in. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, oh, uh, the music video. I I am just gonna say this on the podcast right now. I am pretty sure that the extras were basically taken from like like fetish clubs, alternative lifestyle clubs, and punk clubs. Like like they, you look at them and they look like real fucking punks and shit. Like, hey man, it, it's it's the streets of Montreal. They probably just. Pulled extras right from the fucking street corners. Um, I apparently need to come visit Montreal. <laughs> I mean, Montreal is that kind of place. Nice, nice. Maybe not uh, so much as it was back then, but there, there's still like Montreal strip clubs and stuff like that are pretty notorious. So, yeah, I mean, it, clearly it was like uh, they just they hired a bunch of people who were happy to come and get on camera and take out mm-hmm. their clothes and yeah. kind of had this alternative look. And it, I mean, it. It's funny how much like the fact that they don't look like you know kind of toned hard bodies they they look like kind of punk kids yeah sells the reality of the film and sells the reality like it it really is like it, it's, it, it's a really great little scene I mean I, I I've actually I actually sat and watched that little music video like four times although, <laughs> like it's although, a really fun little sequence although I will say it's it's set like the movie's nineteen eighty six it it sells nineteen eighty like two right. better than it sells nineteen eighty six but still whatever. Yeah, I mean, it could be a period piece. You know, yeah, this takes yeah. place like four years earlier. Could be, yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I won't think too hard on that. But uh, yeah, I, I think we're uh, both in agreement. Both these movies are definitely worth watching. Uh, they are worthy sex comedies for you uh, viewers out there. So, do you have box office information for this film? Do you have any no, other information about this film? Like, like I said, I, I could not find hardly anything. Like I said, I, I actually had to go to Pains to get a trailer for this fucking film. So, uh, yeah, this is one like One Night Only that is sadly kind of lost to the ages to a certain degree. Um, I, w- I would definitely recommend the the link I'm going to share that Daniel shared with me to download this and watch it. Fucking do it, because it's actually worth your time. So uh, I, I, <laughs> I just hope that maybe this podcast kind of shares this with some people and they kind of revisit it and watch it and... I, I don't I, I say this I say this uh, hoping that it actually doesn't happen this way. I kind of want us to get sued because that means somebody actually cares commercially about this. <laughs> yeah, <film>. really. <laughs> you know, I actually kind of hope that like, oh, there's some company that then like is like, oh, well, if you're gonna sue me, then you should actually release the fucking film, right? You know, yeah, yeah I'll yeah. happily take down this little bit of audio if you will like actually <laughs> release yeah. the film. In the in the previous episode, we were like, one only needs a DVD release. This, I'd say, even more so needs a DVD oh, yeah. release. Like, yeah. this is actually a good film. Like, a really yeah, good yeah. film. Well, not only is pretty, it's pretty solid, but this yeah. is actually worth, I mean, this is actually worth watching. Actually, considering they had the same producer, this should be in a double feature of One Night Only, really. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be great. I mean, it, it looks like, I was looking at the kind of IMDb list, and there's there's a ton of films that were made kind of like these kind of erotic you know, kind of comedies or thrillers and stuff made uh, by this kind of producer in the early 80s. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, you could imagine like a box set, like a three disc set with like three movies per disc or something. You know, the, the, just... these two movies, uh, the, those two movies actually share a, a same actor as well. By the way, uh, really? you know, you know, at the end where there's two moving guys coming in to basically the 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 guy with the mullet, he's he's the big fat guy one night only who gets the uh, lobster caught on his dick. Oh my god, now I have to go back and rewatch both of those <laughs> list of sequences just to, uh, to catch that. Yeah, no, I believe that. I believe that. Yeah. I was like, oh, wait, that's the lobster dick guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Daniel, tell everyone where they can find you on the interweb, on the multiple platforms and places that you are now exposed on the interweb. I am I am exposed in many ways on the internet. Uh, probably the best way to do that is to go check out oispaceman.com. That's oispaceman, all one word, .com. I do a Doctor Who podcast and a Red Dwarf podcast and some other stuff uh, with my wife. I also write uh, kind of weekly or bi-weekly at uh, rudatorumpress.com. And uh, if you just want to find me on Twitter, I'm pretty active on Twitter these days. I'm at Daniel Lee Harper, so go check me out there. Exactly. For the rest of the stuff, listen to the trailer at the end. It'll tell you where to go. Please go to our Facebook page. I encourage everyone who's listening, if you're not already part of our Facebook page, please go there. Leave us questions, comments, suggestions for movie reviews, anything. Whether it's criticisms or praise, whatever, we we accept both equally. And uh, we listen to everything. We try to respond to everybody. We're really enjoying the sort of increase in the audience that we've been getting. It's been a lot of fun. And we want to keep it going. Uh, I don't know quite what we're doing next week. Perhaps summer job and odd jobs. Maybe that might be the odd one. Jobs. Where... I mean, you 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 kind of recommended odd jobs, and then you were kind of pulling back on that a little bit. Uh, you mentioned bikini car wash company. We could do bikini car wash company. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll figure something out. It... We'll do some, we'll do summer job and something else. Yeah, uh, and uh, we'll let you know on the uh, Facebook page 
ahead of time. Yeah, that's you gotta go check out the Facebook page to find out what we're watching this week. Yeah, yeah. do it. But until then, uh, thank you for joining me. Always great to be here, especially when we're talking about uh, two actually pretty solid, decent films. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a lot more fun to talk about good films than it is to talk about really shitty ones. Well, I think at some point we're going to have to do an episode where we talk about shitty films explicitly, yeah. and then, yeah, then yeah. that will probably be a lot of fun as well, just to vent. And, uh, it's it's fun to vent too, but it, it's uh, the, the worst thing is when I'm just kind of like, eh, it's 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 fine. Yeah. You know. Uh, the worst are just films that you have no feeling about at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and again, thanks everyone for listening, and we will see you. See ya.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find links to us at iTunes and YouTube, as well as our Facebook group link, which is the best way to get in touch with us. We welcome all comments, questions, movie review suggestions, and criticisms, and we do our best to respond to everyone. You can also find us at Daniel's recently launched oispaceman.com, where you can find his sci-fi theme podcasts about Doctor Who and Red Dwarf. Thank you. Drive through.